Apparently everybody in Russia has no idea how to drive. Well, I've never been, yeah. Uh, it's never been like the lack of driving proficiency that's concerned me about those Russian driving videos. It's just the shit that goes down. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, people are just throwing trash off of a trash truck into the street. <laughs> like, it's kind of like a reverse trash truck. <laughs> <laughs> they hit their quota. They can't be carting that back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You shouldn't live in the poor section of town if you don't want to have <laughs> trash thrown onto your front stoop. What? I mean, it's just... The poor people are just the dumps. That's just how it goes. Uh, man. So moving is has consumed my life, as people might have noticed from the like utter lack of podcasts recently. We went to Ikea today, sort of round up the last few bits of furniture... That was a mistake in so much as uh, we got like we got this entertainment center, which I managed to put every piece on backwards. <laughs> that is the worst which thing actually... about Ikea. The instructions don't warn you about – I know it's obvious that one side is finished and one side is mm-hmm. not. I get it. But it still happens every time I make one of those pieces of furniture or construct rather. Uh, one of those pieces of furniture that I never do. Well, right. what seems insane to me is at, at one point in the IKEA lifetime, they had numbers or letters, like little stickers, on the pieces so you could distinguish them from another. They seem to have stopped doing that. I don't know if the sticker mm. model was deemed too expensive, but now the best you get is the instruction manual will say, "Well, this side's beveled and this side is not. Don't use the beveled side." And I'm like, cool. Does this count as a bevel? Because it's like one third of a centimeter in decline. <laughs> so I don't even know if this is a bevel or just de- a dent. Listen, instructions. I wasn't 100% sure what a bevel was before I started. <laughs> well, I mean, the, they don't use the word bevel. These are meant to be assembled in any language. So it's just a picture of a beveled side and a not beveled side. Yeah, that weird featureless cartoon yeah. character that they use. <laughs> the dude he's like the uh, the spirit people from Princess Mononoke <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like help I'm trapped you need to purify my spirit and save me from the Ikea yeah. factory where I'm forced to assemble you're furniture. looking at your your Kruxvald screwing in something with your Allen wrench and you just hear the <laughs> it's like that's his the head worst clicks. thing about getting trapped in Ikea land of the dead is like not only did you sleep on the furniture of the dead, it was not nearly as comfortable as it looked. Your bureaus of the dead, all the drawers rattle. You're like, well, the in-store unit didn't rattle. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if I put some clothes in it, it'll like the weight will somehow you know even it out. And by that point, they've got you. You're trapped. So, the sole benefit of putting every piece on backwards in the entertainment center. Is that I, I, of course, realized that everything was on backwards, or rather, Grotz told me everything was on backwards. After I had nailed the backing board to the back of it, I was like, don't do, don't do, do putting in these nails. And she's like, <laughs> wait, it's on backwards. I was like, what are you talking about? And then I see, like, the unfinished bar of wood at the top just staring me in the face. And I, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, of course, that means that I had put nail holes in the front of the entertainment center. Well, you know, you want to you go all in. You got to commit. I was like, well, we got to unscrew this entire piece of shit, put it back together, and there's just going to be nail holes in the front of it. But 
because I had somehow put every other piece on backwards, but at the same time, that was not a finished unit that you could just turn around somehow, even though all the pieces were on backwards. I had actually put nail holes in the back of everything, but the back of everything was screwed in such that it was the front. That's crazy. I have no idea. What yeah. I, uh, we bought an enormous cabinet that you put drawers in and dressers that you build that you have to attach the door and hinges yourself. That took us about uh, 20 minutes. No big deal. This entertainment center has been about an hour and 45 minutes struggle. Yeah. I feel like there are certain pieces of furniture you would think would be much more complicated than others. And uh, it never really yeah. works out that way. That's what Grotz, exactly what Grotz said. I put together a whole dresser. Didn't make one mistake. But much like you, put together an entertainment system and put one piece on backwards. I just left it that way. I was like, screw I was it. going to. For, for a moment, I was like... The unfinished wood can just face the front. That's just how it's going to be. But in the end, we disassembled the whole thing, and I think we feel better for it. You beat Ikea. <laughs> well, no. I, we very nearly got the entertainment center for quote-unquote free. But because I was an honest person, I told the lady she had not scanned it. And then we discovered that Ikea is the only place in the universe that hires guards that actually check your receipt item by item. Instead of just confirming that you have a receipt and leaving it at that. so That might just be Ikea's in the New York City yeah. area. So our honesty was rewarded by, I guess nobody looked at us funny. It's not like we would have been gotten in trouble. We'd be like, what? Yeah, they would have just been like, oh, it looks like you weren't charged for this. That wouldn't be a... What, what you is know, it? You tried to steal this intentionally. And I knows it. It would have been a $200 savings just about. Oh, it's worth it to do the right thing. Yeah. In that situation, I agree to a certain extent. But also, I don't really care about shafting Ikea. And there's yeah. no way that it would get... Like, the only person I'd be concerned for in that instance is the cashier. Like, I don't want the cashier yeah. to be in trouble. But they would never be able to trace it back to her. No, I'm sure that they would. No, they wouldn't be able to trace the theft back to her. You're right. Because the item never left yeah. the inventory at her stand. But... But what else? That's my dissertation. Anyway, I got a 51-inch TV, so that was pretty happy. Nice. There was a time in my life where I was obsessed with this feature on the TV. And now that I actually have it, and I bought a TV that has it without even thinking about it, without even realizing it was a feature, I'm more just like, oh, that's kind of cool. Which is that the TV itself can watch Netflix and other things. Oh yeah, it's got apps in it. It's a, it's a smart TV. And not only that, it it can hook up with a media st- server, which is pretty neat. I'm not. Yeah, what lie. does it do? UPnP or DLNA? Yeah, but one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. Oh, that's, no. <laughs> that's actually super. Yeah, it's cool. really neat. You so you can just uh, browse stuff with your monitor without having to turn your Xbox on. Like I was just. You know, I came in to do this podcast, and Grotz is still slaving away in the Ikea mines because there are coffee tables to build. <laughs> so, I was like... You guys did buy a lot of furniture. Didn't Ajay have anything? Well, yeah, he actually went to Ikea separately from us, but this is the one of the first days off we've had in tandem, me and Grotz. Oh, yeah. So, we rented a U-Haul, which cost about 30 bucks, but that's the reality of it, not owning a car, and went out. So, yeah, we got a couple... got a dresser. Got a little little end table. The Klux Vargen. 
got two bags of Swedish meatballs. I was like, I'm buying these. Gratz was like, are you? You can't stop me. <laughs> Gratz was like, I'm going to get this and the are jelly. Are you sure? Sweet, that... sweet, sweet. Yeah. I, oh, I was talking of lingonberry jelly. Like, you don't know. But I decided to leave it on the shelf. And instead bought these things. I I don't know. These garden furniers, which were like uh, soft marshmallows covered in chocolate with a hard chocolate shell. I banged out a couple hot dogs. I was right. like, hey, I got you a hot dog. She's like, from Ikea? I was like, this hot dog costs 50 cents. Because the prices in Ikea are still from 1980. Are totally proportionate with the quality of the food you're well, eating? I would say no, because they're totally... I, I think I feel... In this day and age, if you get something that is, in essence, a sandwich, as a hot dog is, for 50 cents, you would expect it to be not inedible. <laughs> when essentially what these Ikea hot dogs are are hot dogs out of a package that someone has made for you. Yeah. They're probably like somehow nicer than that. I always like to think that they import them from Sweden. Like that somehow inexplicably well, there ain't no... makes sense. It's like imported hot dogs. Well, these Swedish hot dogs are just better than ours. Everybody knows <laughs> there that. There ain't no lingonberry fields in the United States that I know of. It's a cottage industry. What is the... Is a lingonberry similar to a cranberry? What is I that feel like yes. Term? I haven't had it in a long time, so my, my taste palate isn't quite there. But I was reading the sign, because I always got to give you the rundown on everything that you know exists in Ikea. They give you like the whole backstory ever since it was discovered. Lingonberry is just something that's found in the wild in Sweden. I don't know if it's ever been cultivated, according to the sign. <laughs> They're probably just happy it ha something grows there. Although my opinion of northern European fruits is that they are all butt. Yeah, I like lingonberries. Man, I'll bang some of that out. Make it. You like lingonberry yeah. jelly? Yeah. Oh no. It's probably like fourteen pounds <laughs> of sugar per. That's probably also true. Thing of lingonberry. Mm, sweet, sweet pectin. <laughs> oh, lingonberry. Yeah, but that <laughs> there's also this uh, impending terror of we had a grocery delivery coming. At a certain point in the afternoon today, we were like, we have to get to Ikea, which is only about a mile and a half away, and back in three hours. And there was some question that we could do it because it's Ikea. And you have to walk through the entire store. And then when you found out you forgot one thing, like you need to go back to kitchen to get a doorknob for your stupid closet, yeah. you got to walk through the entire store again. And then you're trying to get out. And I'm like, we just got to follow the arrows on the floor. I don't understand that retail mentality when it comes to furniture. Because I feel like furniture is not an impulse buy in the way that if you were forced to traverse the store one more time, you might buy that shirt you were <laughs> yeah. thinking about getting. Oh, you know what? It's I like you're going to come, oh, you know what? I am going to buy that I recliner. I do need that dresser. It's like a, uh, yeah. you, you appear at the end of the line with like a bed in your hand, <laughs> like holding a mattress. <laughs> How did I get here? I just saw it the second time and I didn't want to pass it up. <laughs> You know, like hey, uh, they they now have these these uh, display things where they're like, "This is my home. See what you can fit in three hundred and ninety one square feet." And I'm like, a lot more than the apartment I used to live in. And that space is the IKEA space is way more maximized than ours ever was. Though the reason we we moved out in such a hurry, like we signed a lease, we were like, "Give us the keys. We're moving tomorrow." Was because. <laughs> Our apartment is so small that we wanted to move out as quickly as possible 
so they would rent it because we figured with our stuff in it, it looked like it, the apartment was about six inches wide. But essentially, we wanted them to fall for the same flim flam we did. That when you go into that apartment, yeah. and there's no stuff in there. You're like, oh, this is actually pretty big. And then you put a bed in here. And as soon as you move your yeah, bed in. It's like a yeah. quarter of the apartment is just gone. I've made a terrible mistake. And it worked. So somebody rented it for December. I gotcha. Because the issue was that our lease wasn't up until January. But we're like, okay, got to move now. Because a J had to move now. So I guess like, I guess we're moving out. I really hope somebody rents it for December. So they don't try and charge us rent. And they did. So everything worked out. And life is slowly Hooray. returning to normal. Such that we even streamed some Tales of Vesperia last night. Nice. Which basically was just me dropping pow hammers on people repeatedly. So wait, that's how you roll, dude. Yeah. Pow hammers. Pretty fat. <laughs> or as the Japanese call it, Pikohan. <laughs> which we learned from playing the Japanese version of Tales of Vesperia. And now I'm just like cracking. How many fools times on through Tales of Vesperia is uh, it? It's actually we we've, we've completed it the one time and then played about the first oh, okay. fifth of it like maybe three times. Solid game. I love it. Solid. It's strange solid because game. none of the other Tales games are even in the same stratosphere. It is bizarre that that one is so astronomically better than the rest. Um, I can't imagine that the, there's that much turnover. Like I got to imagine that at least a certain amount of the key staff is the same on each one i don't know why they didn't invest time in just making the combos sort of more fun and like specific well that's actually kind of what tales of graces does as i understand it there's two major teams that work on these things and they like different but similar similar but slightly different combo systems so the way the Tales of Graces one works is you have a resource that starts out at zero but regenerates really quickly. It's actually kind of okay. like a super bar in a fighter, except that you need your super bar to do pretty much any move. So Well, that's like the way that like that's kind of the timer way that it was set up in other games. So or I'm thinking specifically of um gosh, what was that called? Eternal Sonata. Yeah. Like, you had a timer, and basically if you passed up your move, you got more yeah. powerful moves. Yeah, so what you're functionally doing, maybe your resource sort of evens out at four. Like, if it's, at, if it's below four, it'll build up to that, and moves will take one, two, or three points or whatever. And you progress in a tree by you have a neutral attack that you start just by pushing the attack button, and then your next combo can branch off from that by pushing up or left or right, sort of like as you do in Tails games. But these are your standard attacks instead of just having like a road combo that you go through of three or four hits. It, you've got, you know, maybe 10 or 12 branches you can flow through for your regular combo system. And then beyond that, you have the usual spells and special moves that you would do in a Tales game. So it's pretty neat because you'd be like, today I feel like pushing A, up A, down A, and left A. But maybe tomorrow <laughs> I'll push A, right A, down A, up A. And those are, you know, completely different chains. It's just this really big tree. So it was a really neat system. Uh, the Tales of Grace's story is abominable. <laughs> it's so bad. And I mean, that's, that's sort of always been my frustration is that the, you know, the Tales of Vesperia story is like an average to above average Japanese RPG. And my experiences with every other Tales game story is just garbage. <laughs> 
Like, Tales of the Abyss was terrible. And uh, spoilers for, I don't know, this game came out like eight years ago or something. The plot is that you find out maybe eight hours into the game, which is like one-twelfth of the way through any Tales game, that the the <laughs> protagonist is a clone. And he, oh, and he snap. was... Oh, snap. They're going Final yeah. Fantasy IX with this? It's this basically or, actually just... Or Final Fantasy... Yeah, <laughs> IX. That's the one. I was right. And that he was replaced at a young age, maybe like eight or nine or something. And so you figure, all right, this is going to be like a story about personhood and like what is it what is it, what is humanity and what is sentience and what does it mean to be a person but it's actually just him being like but i'm not even a real person for like 45 hours and then he's like i guess i'm like a real person or something and then the game's over you're like fuck you game also that that game has the fucking that protagonist is so dumb like his his mentor is the ultimate bad guy in the game and his mentor keeps having him do, like, dumb stuff and being evil. He's like, why don't you, like, go to this town? And oops, I just, like, murdered the town with poisonous miasma. He's like, but we're still bros, right? And he's like, yeah, whatever. And he's like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, yo, this guy's, like, a super dick. He's totally evil. And he's like, you shut up about my master. <laughs> kind of like a little bit of... um jojo and dio yeah, yeah anyway oh actually i guess before we do whatever we're gonna do i should give props to all the people who have bought things over the past couple weeks since we haven't podcasted forever like wayne norris who i recognize i think from twitter Haley mcfarland uh and who this might be spoilers but it's been so long since she ordered this shirt that maybe is no longer spoilers she says hello guys my boyfriend is a huge fan of yours also known to you for the as the illustrious so he i think he made those like a long time ago nice and she says three years ago he introduced me to the podcast now the podcast is a must for any road trip he's going to love this shirt thanks so i didn't want to spoil it that your girlfriend got you a shirt dude but i imagine he already has it in his hands now because it's been like that could be oh, a christmas no. present or how long ago oh, is that written? no well yeah you might have to scramble that I, part b when was that sent? Was december 3rd yeah that probably is you gotta nix that. Okay, well, every I'm gonna beep out all the relevant names and the part where I say he's a. <laughs> now you have to do it twice. Well, that, what are that you one doing? I said purposely just to make a joke about it, just because it would be kind of funny. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then after Christmas, he's gonna know it was him. And then Brilliant. finally, uh, Try Rudolph says. You guys have been suddenly corrupted by aliens and are asked to suggest a video game in order for the aliens to realize humanity is worthy to continue living. What would you suggest? What would I suggest? As you know, the thing that says we're worth uh, Symphony of the Night. Yeah, that's actually that's a pretty good choice. <laughs> Symphony of the Night. What's the last one or another one that I really like? Valkyria Chronicles would be a choice of mine. Tales of Vesperia. Yo, this game's yeah. good. It's got some dumb parts, but overall it's pretty good. I really like Bastion. I think Bastion says a lot of good things about humanity. Bastion was good. And recent. Um, Deus Ex. Any Deus Ex. Well, not, oh, totes. An, not any Deus Ex. But. You can't show the aliens Deus Ex because then you tip our hand and they know that we're really, you know, one generation away from being murderous cyborgs bent yeah. on. That's you, our ace you in the You give us interstellar travel and Adam Jensen, you better kill us now, aliens. That's all I'm saying. Ban on tiny, Because we're coming beards. for you. 
I want to be all like flip on sunglasses. And yeah. Whatever God. part of the alien is identifiable as the head, I'm going to be punching that. That part in that video game was so lame, but yet so awesome. When he like wakes up from being a cyborg and he walks into the office and sunglasses is just like, whoop. And I was like, that makes no sense. But I want it. <laughs> it makes no sense. But it's so baller. Oh. It doesn't make sense, Dave. It makes dollars. It's so cool. <laughs> and he also he continues to say, also, what are some good, parentheses, bad movies where people are trapped in small places? This is what? like a really specific form of horror movie like for agoraphobics. Uh, well, Descent might actually be good. Like the Descent? or what? There's Cube and Hypercube. Uh, well, those are certainly good bad movies. There's this movie that I keep hovering over on Netflix, and I know it's going to be a piece of shit. It's called ATM. I'm going to read you the description now. When three co-workers make a midnight stop at a glass-enclosed ATM, they find themselves trapped by a menacing man and fighting for their survival. That sounds awesome. Yeah, so oh, so there's Devil. One star on Netflix. Yeah. Phone Booth starring Colin Quinn or Colin Fo Farrell. I mean, Not Phone Colin Booth Quinn. almost approaches watchable, though, doesn't I've never actually seen it. No, nah, not really. Okay. It's stupid. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, wow, Devil was so bad. We watched that. I've never watched all of Devil. I just like the. I've only seen the last 15 minutes where it's revealed that the old lady was the devil. Yeah, I spoiled it. I don't care. <laughs> I took that bullet for you, Internet. We watched it because. Uh, Ian once bought like like three bootleg videos from a DVD guy on the subway. Specifically, I think he might have been drunk. And also he bartered the guy down from like three for 15 to three for five. So he just felt obligated to take it because it was such a good deal. And then he left the bootleg devil DVD at my house. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm watching was this. Was it like a bootleg of somebody videotaping the screen in a theater? Like that kind of bootleg? I think it was actually just a DVD bootleg because it didn't look like no. total shit. But that technology has advanced, man. Steadicam and what have you, they just sort of chop the edges of the screen off. You never know. But <laughs> I guess the sound would be Kinda, total shit. What's the point of watching a movie pirated in that fashion if it doesn't have all the extra artifacts? Yeah, like the people coughing in front of you. There's a part at the end of Wreck, the Spanish like zombie movie, where the girl is in a pretty tight space. I don't know if there are a lot of movies specifically about tight spaces. There's Panic Room with, uh, I can't even remember who. Jodie Foster and Forrest Whitaker and Dwight Yoakam. That was a, that's a good movie, though. That's just a good movie. I don't think that one... Uh, they had to break in criteria. to that Panic Room. Mostly because it has Forrest Whitaker in it. He'll just buy anything he's selling. He, oh, I mean, he's Ghost Dog. How can you argue with I that? Mean, the Last King of Scotland is also a pretty good movie. I just assume that Forrest Whitaker is going to shoot me through a sink drain if I say <laughs> anything bad about him. Well, you're, yeah. In the most elaborate assassination ever. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that guy should have immediately said, why didn't you just shoot me through the window? <laughs> or anywhere else. <laughs> he must have been waiting down there for like 45 minutes. For me to come in and use the bathroom. And also you have to get him to look down? How? Whatever. Yeah, it's like... Ghost Dog had some holes. <laughs> the right? first thing I did is tied a... <laughs> I tied an invisible piece of twine to his wedding ring so I could just pull it and yank it down the drain. <laughs> oh, Ghost Dog. You so crazy. No, he was in Light It Up. 
that was the movie that was like in the in my burgeoning comedy career career in 1999 it's starring usher and at that point in our lives usher had gotten top billing in all these movies where he died in like the first 10 minutes like the faculty <laughs> so light it up is about like i don't know the school riots and then the police are like locking down the school it's got rosario dawson in it and uh, dude i might have to watch this i've never usher is the main character and I was like, that movie's going to be like, Usher's going to appear on screen. It's going to be the beginning of the movie. And somebody in the background is going to be like, yo, Usher, light it up. And then Usher's going to turn around to look at them and just going to get shot like 15 <laughs> times. And then the movie just continues. Get hit in the back of the head with a tear gas canister, falls down the stairwell. Because yeah. it's just like he, I, I, yeah, like like in the faculty. Or in like in uh, the one where he's the DJ. One of those, uh, God. Why do you know all these movies that have Usher in them? I've never heard of any of I watched a lot of teen drama. (laughs) And it was called She's All That. And she wasn't that hot. And then she took off the sunglasses, or the the regular glasses. She had paint smattered over pants, overalls, whatever they're called. Over (laughs) pants. Let me take my over pants off. Uh, I'm looking up. I'm looking up She's All That now. She worked part-time at a kebab restaurant. Word for fishing waiters. Yeah. <laughs> it's in my Oberpants. Yeah. So she took she took the, the glasses and the paint spattered overalls off and she was suddenly hot. And then she was like, was this a bet? Was this a freaking bet? Because it was a PG-13 movie and Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> felt really bad because he had actually fallen in love with her despite the fact that it was just a bet. Was Usher even in He was the movie? DJ at the end. <laughs> And then he said, all right, y'all, I want you to do that dance I taught you. And then the entire senior class is at the senior prom. Does a choreographed dance to Fat Boy Slim, Ride By Now, Funk Soul Brother. <laughs> this is Fast Karate for the uh, Gentlemen. It's a podcast where we relate teen drama plots from 16 years ago. Uh, what are we actually talking about? I don't know. Are we talking about with, uh... Plan Side 2? Yes, let's talk about Planet Side I played 2. played for about 45 minutes. My first time playing or the, it. It's the only self-limiting game I play. Because after about, oh, I don't know. Could be 45 minutes, could be 30, could be a full hour. That game is just going to crash. You might be doing something you've done a hundred times already. It will not matter. Maybe it's just the game designer's social conscience. Being like, we can't let people get hooked on this free-to-play juice. That stuff tastes too good. We gotta cut them off. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with it, but I, it's pretty fun. I liked the first Planet Side a lot and played it pretty significantly. And I was pretty pumped when they announced this one and announced that it would be free to play. But uh, it really kind of ticks me off that I just can't seem to get it going. And Planet Side is a game that you're not gonna jump into immediately, even if beyond all the complexity of it. Uh, that people have talked about where you basically have to use the tutorials if you want to really know what you're doing. Uh, beyond that, you're going to sign into the game and the first 15 minutes, you're going to be wandering around looking for a place to fight because there are, you'd think there would be fights happening everywhere, but that's not true. And even if there are fights happening everywhere, you don't want to be the only guy on your side in that fight. So I always spend like 15 minutes wandering around, finally finding an active location where I'm not the only guy who just getting shot up by Vanu infiltrators over and over again. Uh, and then, you know, 20 to 30 minutes later, the game will crash. <laughs> and I'll be like, okay, 
Yeah, dumb for done. Back to lol. Yeah, basically. Uh, so the first time I started on Planet Side, I was dropped in the middle of this enormous battle, like a battle like I had never experienced in an FPS before, which is what the game promises you. Certainly, like there were just like dozens of tanks moving all over the place, and there were dudes, and I would spawn, and I would get shot pretty quickly. And then I would spawn again some 10 seconds later and get shot pretty quickly again. And be like, how do I shoot a tank? What's good for shooting tanks? I'll be an engineer. Oh, I don't appear to have any anti-armor things as an engineer. Or maybe I just don't know what anything is. Because Gotta go with that heavy assault. I eventually figured that launcher, out. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I was like, so I just gave up eventually. I was like, well, there's no tutorial. So I guess I'm just effed. Because I have no clue what any of the buttons do. I didn't even know there were armor abilities until the second time I played the game. Like, I didn't know there were jetpacks. I guess I knew that people could cloak because people had cloaked and shot me that way. <laughs> Why couldn't I see that guy? Yeah. <laughs> so I, a couple days later, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this Planet Side thing again. It seems pretty cool. I certainly always liked the, the concept of Planet Side. I never played the first one. But I like the sense of scope. So I, I get in there. And it's the complete opposite. I am spawning in places where there are no guys, and then just hoofing it to places where I know I can find guys, just judging by the conflicts on the map. And then getting there and dying pretty promptly, as is my fashion. And then finding that I cannot respawn where I just was. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of the the dual nature of Planet Side. It is at once this really chaotic experience. That requires uh, a lot of organization to be fun. Because you need somebody who's of a high enough rank to be putting down those spawn points. Because you basically have, you know, the different levels you would get in any army. And I, I think I remember this from the first one. If you get to a certain point in levels, you can be, uh, you can determine where your, uh, your allied units will be able to spawn. So you can sort of mark down this spot and everyone will start popping in there. So if you end up signing on at a time or in a location where there's zero interest, yeah, you're not going to be fighting anybody. Yeah. Huh. Although when that spawn point shows up, it is sort of exciting because you know something is going down there. At the very least, you know that there are other people on your side there who are willing to fight with you. Yeah, that's really cool. Man. It's just it's just always there's always been so much promise. And then when you actually play it, a lot of the time you're like, yeah, I'm not really doing anything. Yeah, you kind of have to, I don't, I, yeah, and I don't know how it really works because I don't know. I played the first one a fair amount, but like not enough to really, really get into it. Uh, and I, I feel like the second one with the free-to-play model, free-to-play model, I might uh, spend some more time with it. But there are definitely some, some mysteries there to be puzzled out. Like, What's the point of heavy assault if there are no tanks around? Because that machine gun blows, what, and I want a jetpack. What race were you playing? Uh, I was the Empire, I guess, or whatever the non-corporate slash alien one was. The red guys. Oh yeah, the I think I'm not conglomerate and I'm not Vanu, but I can never remember yeah, the that, name of these. I, I was also the red guys, which I think are called the New Republic. And from what I understand, just by reading message boards. Their accuracy is like twice as bad as everybody else's for seemingly no reason. That that may yeah. just be bitching on the part of some people, but 
Yeah, I was just browsing around like the GameFAQs message boards and then the official sites just trying to be like, how do I play this game? Because I really would like to try it, but I just don't know what I'm doing at all. And they were like, why is our accuracy so shit? Like, here's all the numbers. Here's why it's crappy. And I was like, yeah, it kind of feels you. Because when I'm playing that, that heavy guy, I'm trying to feather the trigger. And there's a guy like across the room from me, maybe like 10 feet of game space away. And he always gets me first. <laughs> like, I could just see yeah. my bullets, like, pinging around him as if, you know, it was going to cut, like, a man-shaped silhouette out of the wall and then the wall would fall <laughs> over. Yeah, I don't... I, I kind of... I wonder at that sometimes, too. Because they'll be... Playing is this... Whatever my experience has been in Planetside 2, it really feels like if you didn't get the drop on the guy, you're not going to yeah. kill him. Because you're not going to get the headshot or do anything really spectacular or ultimately skillful uh, and overcome the odds of having failed to shoot first. But yeah, it it, it feels a little frustrating sometimes. Is, but gosh, when you rocket jump up onto somebody mm-hmm. and they're not expecting it and you just rain hot lead down on them from the sky. It's pretty, pretty I mean, fun. I had a pretty great moment where... I finally managed to get into a building that a bunch of other people were in. And people were just taking defensive perimeter up around the top of the building and just shooting everybody that came by. And their dudes were trying to snipe us, but we were, like, shuffling behind cover, waiting for shields to recharge. And everybody was popping yeah. out and just hailing gunfire on the guys below. <laughs> uh, and that was really neat and a lot bigger in scope than you tend to get with those games. But then a lot of the other times you're like, do ti do ti do walking down this path. Oh, there's like a purple guy in front of me. I'm going to chase him. Oh, I just got sniped by somebody I didn't even see. <laughs> I, one of my best experiences was I managed to hook up with this group of eight guys who were clearly like on vent or something together. And they had purchased one of the large aerial uh, transport vehicles. And so I was with these guys and we would just go between buildings, <laughs> the nine of us, and you know, basically paratroop down. And wreck house, and then take over the get facility. Up, get back Everybody on. We would get back on board, and we would go to the next one, which is really how it's supposed to work. You know, that's why that vehicle exists, and it's it's really a lot of fun. So yeah, that's a, you know the every once in a while, planet side really shines. But you have to, you know, you have to find those times, and they're they're relatively relatively rare. Yeah, I think it's just like this is the game you would play in college because you had like six or eight friends that were always available to play video games yeah. and you could just like hash out a time and do it well it only takes one guy to kind of turn it around like if you do have a commander type guy who's really willing to communicate and two or three other guys who are invested i mean that they kind of they make it a more fun experience because of the way the game is set up <laughs> i had a pretty great thing where a dude just landed in some plane i think maybe by accident because he just landed on a bunch of rocks and I just ran up and I was like, I'm going to run next to this plane and hit E. And then I ended up in the gunner seat. And then he just flew around and I was shooting in the gunner seat. And I was like, yeah. And that's something I feel like you kind of only really get from um, Battlefield other than this. And this yeah. is sci-fi, so I like it better. <laughs> just sort of by default. Yeah. And what's more, you know, you'll just be walking around this world as you do. You spend a lot of time walking. It is an MMO. Uh, and, like, you'll see one of their weird, like, sort of buggy-looking insect planes flying by, 
and you'll be like, oh, that's that's a real dude. Like, this is not a scripted event. That's not an NPC flying that plane. It's just kind of cool to see this infrastructure kind of being built up and re- know that yeah. there's people behind all of it. Or when this, because in those moments, also the scale of the game really becomes clear. And you understand, like, oh, this is really something entirely different because it, it is. There are borders, but it feels, from an FPS perspective, to be borderless. You know, it's kind of, from what I hear, a lot of what Far Cry 3 is all yeah. about. Just a really open world, even more so than what you've experienced a lot of, in a lot of other open world, quote-unquote, games. Yeah. Or maybe FPSs. I mean, like, obviously games like uh, Oblivion or any of the Elder Scrolls games yeah. are going to be that well, way. Fallout is te- technically an FPS really yeah it's got shooty bits i actually i mean if, if you don't use the the auto aim stuff then yeah and actually new vegas was a bit more catering towards actual shooting like like they really nerfed uh vats which was the the auto aim stuff mm-hmm. so you had to spend a lot more time shooting for real and they tweaked the systems to account for that like they had a lot of really cool weapon mods and stuff that you could put on your guns for, you know, different scopes and what have you. Certain guns could get night vision scopes and cool things like that. Yeah, I guess in, 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 as you were talking about that, I realized that Stalker yeah, is I mean, a, Stalker's, a lot Stalker's like Stalker's like sort of the quintessential example of that. The yeah. thing I, but I, Planet Side's doing something different because you're never going to run into a place where you're not high enough level to compete. Yeah, well, yeah. well granted, you may be unable to... Uh, fight that armored unit because you're the wrong class but you know that was sort of like you know that immediately and you just run away so is there like a level up or a perk that just puts enemies on your mini map constantly <laughs> i don't know because I, maybe. it might just be me but my ability to identify targets in that game is basically nil so i just shoot everything i see and if it's a friendly well, my gun's not so accurate that I probably actually did any actual damage to you. Like I probably just dinged your shields with one bullet. Yeah. Because even even though they're all everybody's a different color, but I still just can't tell at even like a medium distance. I'm like, I just gotta shoot everybody, just shoot everything I see. Yeah, and a lot of times you're you're rewarded for that because it wasn't yeah. me. I don't even. Truth be told, I didn't even try that hard to see what the level up system was i was like oh there there's these things called certs and use them to buy weapons and there's no possible way that i have enough to get anything at this point so i'm just going to ignore it yeah and that's one of those things where like since you can pick what weapons you buy you probably have to sit there and go on a forum and be like all right guys what do i buy for my first gun because those mistakes just translate immediately into lost time yeah if you get like the wrong thing which speaking of which we we banged out a couple games of mass effect last night because there was like a weekly challenge going on and i was like yeah go back to mass effect haven't played that in a while and they there's some pretty cool new stuff in that game oh yeah not the least of which is they they put in the collectors as an enemy race oh nice they're pretty cool, even though... I mean, I was always pushing for them to put the collectors in because 
they basically have a fully fleshed out race that requires very little in the way of art assets or design because they had all these guys they got like the you know the drones and the uh, scions, which were like the three husks strapped together, which somehow means they have like a laser cannon now. That's like what you get when you just add them up. It's non-linear. Uh, but, and the, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. They have like captain guys that were actually kind of the coolest because they shoot bees at you. <laughs> they shoot these swarms of bees, which were present <laughs> as a plot device in Mass Effect 2. It's the Seeker Swarms. But now they, like, get all up on you and, and delay your cooldown so you can't use your powers. So that's kind of neat. They put down these webs that I don't know what were, they were for, except that you could shoot them. But it seems like every race gets got a couple new enemy types, too. So the Gap have this, huh. like, little plane bomber that drops stuff on you and knocks you out of cover. And the Oh, that's clever. So the Geth are even harder now? Well, I think it's probably because the Geth had the hardest time of getting people out of cover. Because that's like what people would do to farm credits in that game was fight Geth oh, they would on like just pick one, the Geth. Yeah. one specific base. Because Geth don't have any grenades or anything. So you would just go on that one that's like on a mountain in the snow. You can hide in the control room there. And all the guests sort of funnel in right next to where you're taking cover. So you're just constantly grabbing them over the cover and murdering them that way. Yeah. And Cerberus got a vanguard. Which was a surprise to everyone involved, which was just me and Graz. Because we're like, oh, what's that guy? His name's Dragon. He's just armor. What's that about? And then he's like, Poof! and they kicked you out of your cover. And I was like, motherfucker, that's my job. <laughs> Vanguard versus yeah, Vanguard. It's... It doesn't matter. Your Vanguard is probably better. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, last night I was playing a soldier because the challenge was like to use a bunch of assault rifle. Do a bunch of assault rifle damage or something. God, soldiers, they need to buff that class. Did they get anything new? Uh, I mean, there's new guys of every type. There's, uh, I think we talked about this on Do the I podcast. I have that game installed But there's Volus. There's Volus classes now. Uh, Graz unlocks something called an Asari Valkyrie. I have no idea what that's about. There's some Turian classes that have jetpacks and use jetpacks for their melee. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going down in that game. So and that was pretty fun, and it sort of it wet the urge. But the reason I thought of that is because of the weapon unlock system in that, which is the dumbest ever, which is that it's just <laughs> random. But the reason that it's random is so yeah. they can charge people to get more weapon unlocks, charge them real money, which is the you either you get it in-game credits or you spend real money. And people spending real money is why they keep releasing free updates. So I will not hate too much because it yeah. essentially pays out in dividends for me. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's always what, you know, you wonder if uh, they could work out some kind of in-game advertising thing so that they could make it more fun. Well, yeah. But also I mean, I'm definitely not complaining, content. even though I am uh, philosophically against, I'm philosophically opposed to the practice of charging money for, like, in-game weapon unlocks. I mean, <laughs> it has a practical application, so I'll just, like, sweep my, my video game-based morals under the rug. Like it's fine. Just give me another free race. I can just come back to sometime. Whew, man, I played some Hitman. I played all of Hitman. And oh yeah, that was pretty much unexciting. I don't. I don't like to be one of these people that like refs the sweet tweets I made 
because I've always been of the of the opinion that you make a joke once and wherever it lands that's what you do with it so I try not to repeat myself but here I will which is to say that that Hitman game sure was like three or four pretty good Hitman levels and the rest was just a really bad Splinter Cell 1 and, and that like the majority of that game is like alright here's a place with a bunch of guards in it and you're going to have to memorize their patterns and sneak around them Unless you just want to go full out murder, which is not the way of the hitman. I only kill my target. Not the way of the hitman, even though it's precisely the way of the hitman. Yeah. That's all you do is murder people. But it's not, really what defines not you. Not full out murder. You only murder the guy at the end of the level. Or sometimes there's like three dudes in the level you have to kill. And you only kill those three guys. That's how you get the best score. And that's how video games are the most fun. So, uh, Jay was watching me play. He was like, why do you keep restarting? I'm like, because it has to be perfect. <laughs> Otherwise, why, yeah. why am I playing? But yeah, a lot of that game is like, well, I decided to leave cover slightly too early and the guards patrol came back and I got seen. Which is why I, yeah. which is why I say it's like Splinter Cell, but there's like 10 times as many guards as there was in Splinter Cell. So the patterns are just exhaustingly complex. And, like, you know, those stories are so terrible, they're not even worth mentioning. I did kill a lot of bondage nuns. Uh, for all the hullabaloo about them, they were in one level, and you murdered them like eating popcorn. Like, at, at one point, one of the bondage nuns is talking to, like, a security guard dude, like one of their, you know, special agents, whatever they're called. Uh, on the other side, so you're in, like, a tiki motel, and they're on the other side of the bar. And you can just yank her over the bar and break her neck. And the scripting is so bad that the guy's like, hey, where'd you go? <laughs> and then he just walks away. That's so rude. But why would you disappear behind a bar in the middle of our conversation? He doesn't even look for her. He just walks away. It's like, well, that was weird. I'm going to go get a soda. Yeah. But not from behind the bar. Nope. So, I don't know. I mean... I like stealth games, so I will pretty much play any stealth game you put in front of me. That's just how I'm wired. But the reason I've liked Hitman games in the past is that they're sort of these, like, behavior simulators of, like, you gotta have the right disguise, you gotta operate under, like, the proper protocol, like, you can't be carrying a gun if you're a cook, and stuff like that. And that's what I've always found really cool about them. And finding ways to kill your target such that it is not obvious that they were murdered. Like in one of the games, you can you have to kill a stage actor and you, have to, you can replace the prop gun with a real gun. Stuff like that. So they've, they've always been these like kind of, kind of cool puzzle games. And not so much. Like with the tiniest bit of stealth in them. And this one was just straight up all stealth. Kind of miserable stealth for the most part. And the best part is that, so the way that you, you get disguises, and if you are the same disguise as somebody, they can see through it. Like, cops can tell you're not a cop. And the way you trick them is you gotta... Wait, how can cops tell you're not a cop? They know every cop in Chicago. <laughs> so chefs know you're not a... It's hey, a wait a second. That was actually the most frustrating part. There's a mission that goes on in Chinatown, and I took, like, a chef's costume... From a completely different part of the level. 
like uh, it was actually like a convenience store cook's costume, but I guess that and the chef's costume are the same uh, according to the game's logic. So I clear that part of the level. It's in like a like a fireworks store, which is kind of racist. I don't know who made this game, but you know, I don't think that's the only thing Chinese people operate in. So I go into Chinatown at large, and every vendor on the street is seeing through my disguise. It's like, hey, well, I, I mean, did... it'd be pretty. Uh, I guess it's not that suspicious to see just some guy walking around in chef's clothing. It's just, I mean, it's always sort of mystified me because the dude has like a barcode on the back of his head, and that is just never referenced. <laughs> like nobody's ever like, hey, you know, it's weird that that chef has like a barcode on the back of his head. I guess that's just, you know, I guess that's just how he is. Yeah, culture, nonconformist. You know, I'm just a product, man. We're all just products. It's like, no, I'm literally a product that was made in the lab. Maybe <laughs> I don't even know what Hitman's about. The plot of this game is they made like a 14 year old girl Hitman. She's like the next generation. And you're like, no, I won't let what happened to me happen to you. And the reason, the way I do this is by killing everybody that's around me that's trying to pick you up. And I don't know, she has like a USB key on her neck that has like a, an isotope in it that unlocks her superpowers. In the beginning of the game, it seemed that it was she sort of... She has superpowers? Well, they all kind of have superpowers because, I don't know, they're like genetically engineered or something. Listen, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the stories are really bad. The point is that she has like, I don't know, Hitman extrasensory perception or some shit. And they, they, there's like a USB key looking thing that hangs around her neck. And it seems like this is what gives her power. Now, I interpreted this to be that it was sort of like, I don't know, the thing that made her not brain dead. And if it wasn't on her person, she was sort of comatose. And as such, it was it was a method of control that they so did her not. Superpower was consciousness then. Yeah. Well, I mean, then then she like can do like karate stuff and break people's necks with her thighs because that's what you never see like you never see the hitman break somebody's neck with his thighs. And I just think that's a real problem, and that's what we call gender inequality. <laughs> he never like jumps up and holds somebody's head between his knees and then just cracks it and then flip, does backflip and then ends in a sexy cat pose. Jill Valentine, talking about you, giving me those boners. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so this 14-year-old girl, they, like, take the USB thing off of her, and she seems like she's catatonic. So I'm like, okay, this is, like, how they control her, right? But then later in the game, it just seems like that's not the case anymore. And then at the end of the game, she's going to, like, drop the USB stick into the ocean and leave the hitman life behind her. And I'm like... Won't that just make you sort of a vegetable for the rest of your life? And that, no? She wanted to kill anybody. Yeah, I guess, but, like, I don't think she was going to have to anyway. Because they killed everybody that was involved with the project anyway. Including Powers Booth, a.k.a. the Vice President on 24. That I believe <laughs> held a vote of no confidence on Wayne Palmer. And I know he was no David Palmer. But still, he was... You know, but still, he was still the he was still the brother of the greatest president ever. It's true. Cannot be denied. So do not step to that. I guess I was okay. So he was he was actually in the that twenty four redemption movie to like 
Oh, wait, so was he the vice president for the female president? What is... Uh, it's been so long, I've forgotten everything about 24. Well, I mean, there's a lot to remember. It was eight seasons. <laughs> I <laughs> each, mean... I've, each season was more ridiculous than the last. Well, the memory storage you need simply to hold Tony Almeida's various betrayals <laughs> is sort of <laughs> pushing right. the limits of your average TV show at the bat. So any plot twist beyond that I started to get on, put on the back burner. Oh, man. But anyway, that Hitman was kind of poop. I would not go out of my way to play it. Poor Hitman. Yeah, well. He I was don't... born to a life not his own. Yeah, I guess. But I think he left that life behind him like a while ago. <laughs> I don't really remember the plot of the last game. Except that at the end of it, they think you're dead. And everybody comes to your funeral. And for some reason, you are buried with your guns, or you're in an open casket with your guns, but you're not dead. And the credits have already rolled, but then you have to, like, click the mouse in time with the heartbeat, and then you wake up and you murder everybody that's at your funeral, which is, like, I don't know, the CIA agents that spawned you or whatever. And I think it was supposed to be completely badass, and the, like, mission is all white, like, you're in this, like, super white church that's just white, and there's, like, opera, angelic sort of music playing. I think somebody made that and was like, this is like fucking cool as shit. John Woo to the he, 99th yeah. power. They were like, people are going to look at this and it's going to be, they're going to think it's so awesome. Everybody's going to love me. I'm going to get to have sex. And then I was like, <laughs> I don't know when I see things uh, like that. And that's what hurts my heart so much. It's like, I don't think these people generally don't go into it being like, yeah, I'm just going to make some dumb video game plot. Don't even worry about it. It's just going to be stupid as fuck. Like, I think whenever you see a video game plot or even a movie or a book or whatever, like, somebody put their heart into that. And that's really sad. Yeah. I don't know. It just sort of bums me out to be like, man, somebody in the world thought this was really good. And this is a bummer for two reasons. One, because it's not really good. And two, because it puts into question everything that I will ever do. <laughs> somebody is thinking that about something I've done and that sucks well that's the nature of things but oh well that's life but I'm happy we could continue to get back on this podcast train and it's spend true. 25 minutes talking about Ikea furniture uh, that's sort of what we do oh, here it had to be done I've moved into this new apartment and life is finally getting back to normal and now, like, so I submitted my book to a professional copy editor now, which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Except for the fact that I realized the only thing that stresses me out more than not working on my book is not having to work on my book. So I'm just sort of like, what do I do now? Uh... The answer is check my email compulsively. <laughs> just be like... Did she email Gotta me back? Gotta write more video game reviews. Yeah, Get I, out there. New Super Mario Brothers U is in the hopper. Dude, that uh, that Super Mario review is actually pretty dope. I know I said that on the tweetars. Yeah. But uh, I felt that was a good piece of well, writing. I worked pretty hard on it. <laughs> I did my best. But yeah, I sat there. I was thinking, I was, when I was playing the game, I was like, what am I even going to say about this video game? <laughs> And then when uh, when I started writing, it just came well, together. Well, you think that's a, that should be a fundamental... You should ask yourself that before every review that you write, oh. you know? Like, not... Even if you have sort of a fully formed idea, it's still probably worth it to just 
step back for a second and ask, well, what am I going to say? Yeah, of course. And it says, is this valuable? Well, I feel like a lot of people don't do that. It's yeah, like, no, I'm that's gonna... probably true. But it's kind of, it's, it's to Anime News Network's credit that the reviews there don't follow sort of a like feature list format. Hmm. So you can get an idea in your head and sort of toy around with it and maybe write something that's a little more engaging than blocked paragraphs of text about graphics and what have you. So, yeah, it was really exciting. I had a, I had a lot of fun writing that video game review, and I thought it turned out really well. And I just felt like I had like a really satisfying premise that I just sort of came upon, and then the rest just flowed, and it's always really nice when that happens. And, like, I, I mean... The the I I don't really concern myself with internet comments so much because it's just like, you know, the people who like oh your... come on, the feedback, Dave. Well, the problem hate as it were. The problem is that like the people who like what you said, generally won't say anything. Like I don't make comments when I read something and I'm like, oh, I really like that. Like one out of every hundred times, I will comment on something. So I've come to accept that as a truism. And I didn't really say anything that was even, like, remotely controversial. So all the comments on that article were like, yeah, I'll buy this game when it gets cheap. I was like, <laughs> all right. It's cool, guys. Well, yeah, but I feel like, I don't know. Just, that is a, a truism of the internet that people really only speak negatively. But I think that's sort of true of our culture yeah, as at a large. Yeah, that may be true. Like, I, have you seen Jamie Kennedy's total qqing documentary called heckler no it's i mean it's an interest you should check it out related to what you were just saying about people on the internet and their attitudes about things but uh yeah it's just that's sort of what we do we have a whole industry of people whose sole dedication in life is to hate on things yeah i mean what could you do like that's that's why people write these like crazy antagonistic posts on blogs because that's what gets the most attention that's fine you know it's all the internet what are you gonna do i think it's just by this point someone's gotta life. step up there i realized the other day i was trying to write a post about matt taibbi but i realized it was like too fanboy nerdy yeah well i actually i, I ended up just saying like good job thank you for writing this but i wanted to be like matt taibbi i will have your babies yeah well he is pretty good uh, he's one of those guys whose uh, writing style I just find really satisfying. <laughs> well, it's because he's like he's super smart and well versed, but then he also, you know, he drops an f bomb or yeah. two. <laughs> well, he, yeah. Well, yeah. Like whoa. I feel like he's he's uh, <laughs> he he is occasionally pretty vindictive. Isn't the right word, but he's very incisive yeah. in, in a somewhat cruel way. But it's generally backed up in such a way that you're comfortable with him doing it. So you're just like, all right. Uh, there's only a couple people, I don't know, that I can think of by name who, who's, who I appreciate just for their, their method of writing as much as their content for, in that sort of sphere. I I like him. I like John Ronson who wrote the psychopath test. He's got this like really charming, uh, like very effusive, but (laughs) completely anxious British way about him <laughs> it's right. like he's just so british and i and that comes through <laughs> so well in his writing that when i heard him on npr i was like oh yeah of course that's how he sounds 
Uh, him and I actually, the one video game writer I really like is Tom Bissell, or he might be Bissell. I'm not sure I'm familiar with him. Where, who does he write for? Well, he wrote this book called Extra Life, which I would was not very good, and I wouldn't recommend it. So I, I recommend him with caveats because I think he's he's pretty smart and pretty insightful, and he's got a really good background. But he also does like a lot of like shame writing. Like it's like, isn't it such an embarrassment to play video games? And like my <laughs> girlfriend threatened to like revoke vaginal privileges if I didn't play Fallout 3. And I'm like, dude, just shut up. Like you write good things. Like when Spec Ops came out and was all the rage, he wrote a really good piece about it that I I refed one of the times that me and Ajay did the panel. I think it was the one in we did in Connecticut. All right. So when you said ref, I immediately thought you were like the official like <laughs> I was adjudicating event. yeah uh, <laughs> no it, it, he's got this line at the end where he's like it's a little pithy but but i bought into it which is like he's like you know sometimes i i play cool call of duty and i think how do the people who make this game sleep at night and then he says when i can't sleep at night i play call of duty and i was like oh that's, that's kind of clever yeah uh, that's why i mean i say it was pithy but i think there's good sentiment behind it and that he that's why I like him because there's there are ideas worth exploring in video games and a lot of people don't really bother so it's cool to see what people do but also you don't need to be like ha 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 only nerds play Skyrim and like girls you might have heard of Skyrim because it's the thing your boyfriend do what am computers <laughs> so I just wish you could just excise that part of him but anyway, I feel like something popped into my head, but I don't even know. Andrew wrote an article for the website. If yeah, people want to look, good. He, he did not write it for the website, but uh, it's about Out of This World, which is a really fun, cool game that he says a lot of things that a lot of people say, but it's nice to sort of hear them repeated because I feel like it's not said off often enough that essentially the thrust of his essay is quick time events have sort of subsumed everything. Like they're, <laughs> they're so prevalent that... You know, there's the, at the very beginning of Out of This World, the first thing you do is fall into this pool. And if you don't swim up, the tentacles kill you. But nowadays, kind of, that would, that would be a quick time event. And oh, you'd have somebody do you, tell you. Do you, want, do you want to get eaten by the tentacles? Yes slash no. I think it's his exact line. And then at the end, that like, you know, a, a really cool thing about Out of This World is that it's not very expository. And it doesn't have to tell you, like, Oh, like this guy, your buddy, he's like the leader of the tribe, and that's or like a rebel tribe, and that's why they're fighting, and that's why he's in prison, even though he's the same alien. And it, it sort of, you know, it gives you the, the bits and pieces of this world, and you get to fill in the details with your brain, which is not something that happens a lot in any media anymore. Certainly not the popular stuff. So maybe people want to read that. Peep maybe. that. That people want to listen to this podcast if people still listen to podcasts that we put out because <laughs> they come out about once every three weeks now i guess it's only been about two so yeah we're doing week. all right we'll pick it back we're up. we're doing our best maybe we can do more jojo that's true week. we could just keep hopping on the jojo i think train. we could probably get another there's probably another five episodes of jojos now yeah so i'm ready for that word i'm gonna shut this but one somebody down. Yeah, somebody uh, somebody asked me, like, hey, how are you liking that lead-up to the third series of JoJo in the TV show? And I was like, I have not watched any more since we discussed it. <laughs> I, perhaps you're not familiar with my anime viewing schedule. 
Uh, but anyway, let us clap. Yes. All right. One, two, three. Hooray.